Hello, friend. Welcome to the first ever podcast hiatus here on the You're Welcome Show. As you and I are friends on Instagram, you will know that I full-on deleted the Instagram app this week. My first time ever doing that because I run a business over there. It feels like a really big deal to actually step away even for something as small a period as a week. But as we will talk about in today's episode, I think that change can sometimes start with really big things. You make a big shift in your life. But the deeper that we get into a topic, a challenge, an area, an issue, the smaller the shifts get, the tinier and the more incremental. And as I have been challenging myself to be more present with the slowness of quarantine and be more curious about what I can learn from and discover about myself in this season, I want to start to notice I I want to start to notice, I want to start to notice <laughs> even more how I articulate my words. No, how I spend my time in little ways. The little fleeting thoughts that go through my head. Like, oh, should I grab my phone and film this? Or, oh, I could pop up an Instagram and talk about this on stories. And as I'm headed out of town next week to write for a week and then on a local vacation with Jeremy and then start working on the next phase of my book with a book coach beginning in September. So it felt like a good time to pull some of the time resources that I spend every week teaching here on the podcast and over on Instagram and focus it on the book in this end of summer transition time. So today I want to revisit one of my very first episodes of this podcast with an on core presentation on how and why we do or don't change or the people in our lives do or don't change. I get a lot of DMs about how do I help this friend change? Why is this friend still stuck in this pattern? Or I don't know how to help them get to the next level. So when it comes to changing things we dislike about ourselves, I have certainly changed some major things in the vein of what I share about in this episode. But I also want to emphasize newly for 2020 that there are still areas in which I haven't changed because I feel like I'm not sure how. I want to, but I don't quite know how to get there, which means I cannot confidently and proudly say I have changed this area of my life. And my best guess in those things are things like therapy and journaling and prayer. But I think sometimes we avoid that kind of work because we are maybe going to unearth a lot of stuff. It's not going to be fun, perhaps. Maybe it's going to be painful before it feels better, messy before it becomes more clear. And it can just feel daunting or tiring. Would you have other things in life, of course, that you're also juggling or working through? You even just have to find the time period to slow down and work on those things. And then even for those of us that are slower in this time of quarantine, we sometimes have to exert the muscle to be like, well, that doesn't sound as fun as sitting here and reading this book. (laughs) That doesn't sound as relaxing to actually dive in and deal with these things that I dislike about myself and that I want to change, but they're going to take work. And that doesn't sound like the most fun part of it. So the maturity to change is not a stage that we graduate to where we can kind of say, oh, I am now someone who changes things about myself and I kind of look down on you, other friend, who is not yet at that stage yet. You and I talk a lot about degrees, like a one degree shift or 10 degrees better in something. And my new way to see this topic since I first recorded it is that 
we can be 70% at a new stage. You know, you were in denying and you move to owning. You were in owning or you move to changing. Things will unpack in this episode. And that's huge that we made that leap. But we may not be there 100%. There are still ways to grow or we're there in certain areas of our lives, but not other areas. Or maybe we feel right now like we're there 100%. Like you're like, I have healed my anxiety. I am done with emotional eating. I am, I'm, I am such a more patient person, whatever the thing is. We've done a ton of work and we are so proud of ourselves, as we should be. And then six months later, a situation arises with a friend and we realize, oh, I have a lot more work to do around forgiveness than I realized. <laughs> I thought I'd become someone who was really good at forgiving, but I just got into a new situation, a harder situation, and I'm realizing, oh, I didn't just fully check that off and get to move on. Or you thought you'd grown in comparing yourself to other people. You were feeling way better about other women's bodies or what you were seeing on Instagram. But then, wow, someone new started at work that is really triggering you in new ways. And you are realizing you are not this 100% evolved, fully changed person in this area. So my hope for you today is that you can think of one or a few areas, issues, instances, challenges in your life in which you're denying that you can own or that you are owning, that you can start to change and envision what it will feel like when you're doing that 10% more or at 30% or at 70% in that next stage in this area. In today's Encore presentation. You, my dear, are meant for tuning in. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. I don't mean to sound pretentious, but I have literally discovered the answer to all of your problems. Yes, you. And also that friend who's driving you crazy. And the guy who's being a jerk. And your boss that has issues. And your parent who messed up your life which is a bold claim, and I fully reserve the right in, say, two years to have an even wiser and more evolved way to say this, but this is the peak I have reached right now, which came out of my previously brilliant I have solved everyone's issues moment, which I call the three stages of ish. I created this in summer, fall 2016 as I was returning from the sabbatical that jump-started my journey to heal my anxiety that we discussed in episode two of this, the You're Welcome podcast with myself, Hillary Rushford. Here's how the stages of ish, which is a polite way of saying S-H-I-T, works. I believe that there are three stages we can find ourselves in. First, stage one, you deny your ish. Whatever happens, it's not your fault. In its simplest form, this is an angsty teenager blaming their teacher for their poor grade when really they just didn't try that hard, aka are lazy, or it just wasn't that good, aka they're not as smart or talented as they want. They're annoyed or embarrassed. Whatever the emotion or truth they don't want to claim or own, they blame someone else. For me, this looked like for the first maybe four years of my business, where I could not take any constructive criticism without getting defensive. 
I was so fragile, exhausted, running so hard that it's like I had to argue with anything constructive because I just didn't have the bandwidth to accept the hint of any more work, the implication that trying my best wasn't good enough, that I could or should be doing better. For me, it also looked like anyone who tried to point out things not just about my business, but about me, myself, that I didn't like. And I think the key is here that we all struggle to admit these things because we fear we can't change them. And if we can't change them and we own them, then we've just admitted we're a horrible failure of a person and we just have to sit with that reality. And that is unbearable to live with. So if I can't control my emotions, my anger, then I just have to deflect and deny my ish. No, that's your issue. It's your fault for triggering me. You're too sensitive or you're too insensitive. You're the one with the issue. I had a dear friend who stopped talking to me for six weeks last year, and I honestly didn't know why. I was so confused. And when I finally reached out and we went to coffee, for the first two hours, it was not going well. I just felt in my gut like she wasn't being honest. The reasons she was giving were just not making any sense. And thank God, truly, that for some reason, I started to share something else, an experience I'd had recently in therapy, and it totally unlocked an aha moment for her. Suddenly, she understood why she had reacted the way she had. The reason it felt like she was lying for two hours was because she honestly didn't have an answer as to why she behaved the way she did. And having to say that would simply mean having to accept I guess I'm a horrible, selfish friend, which would be awful to sit with. So even when we're wise, mature humans, our egos fight it so hard. But suddenly she realized that this had triggered that, which is sensitive for her because of this thing from growing up, which she made mean this, et cetera, et cetera. And now she wasn't denying that her actions were painful because she and I could both understand them. She wasn't a horrible friend. She was hurt. She could explain why she was hurt, and that made it so much less scary to admit. I find most often this is more like a life stage, like you just get tired of stage one, denying your ish. You want to be healthier, so you start to stage two, own your ish. My favorite example of this is my friend Quincy was dating this girl who'd be like, yeah, I'm a witch another letter in front of that word for any adult ears. She's like, I know it. I can just be a witch. And I was like, well, Quincy, that's cool that she's not oblivious and owning it. But she's basically saying, I'm not going to deal with it. So you have to. But I already called myself out on it. So you can't blame me or be mad at me because I owned it. Guys pull the same move too, saying things like, I'd be horrible in a relationship. Or, yeah, I know, I'm such a selfish jerk. Which in my experience, is usually tied to a lot of flirting, dating, sex, ghosting, and basically then saying no woman should get mad at me for any of my horrible behavior because I claimed it up front. It's one step more self-aware, but it lacks confidence. It says this is all I can expect of myself, so this is all the world can expect of me. For me, this looked like telling my employees or people when I would be interviewing them up front that I have anxiety, which was honestly really wise. I was trying to make sure people weren't blindsided. I was 
trying to be vulnerable and self-aware and honest. It was certainly better than just shocking people with the issue. But I came to realize later on that I was basically saying, I don't know how to deal with this, so you'll need to be able to. And listen, I have such empathy for all of these stages. I'm sharing my own story because I don't judge myself for those years. I was doing the best I thought I could. I was doing great. (laughs) I was a new entrepreneur, but I could do better. And as I knew better, as I had the confidence to do better, I did. And that's what matters. But it takes so much, so much courage to get through these stages of growth. Finally, though, you can see that owning it really isn't true health. And you decide to boldly embrace the final, terrifying, thrilling stage. You decide to stage three, change your ish. You go to therapy, lose the weight, quit the addictive behavior, lose the coping mechanism, do the hard, scary work of turning over every rock in pursuit of health and hope and healing Even though you aren't totally sure the path, and it definitely isn't overnight, but you become determined you are going to be happier. Because I don't believe we're fully happy when we're denying or owning. We have to pretend that we are and cover to ourselves. And it's because we just don't have the vision, the courage, the hope to believe we can actually change. That we really could become someone who is less critical or doesn't eat sugar or has forgiven her mother, whatever you know is the next change you dearly want to make your truth. The fact we can change is really what we're all seeking. Our belief unlocks our behavior, which is why I find it so powerful to share our stories as scary, vulnerably as I did in episodes one and two, because I trust it will help someone listening believe that it's possible and begin to seek change, which ultimately means they're happier and healthier, bringing more happiness and health to their friends, families, companies, children, communities. Which brings me to the one word that I now sum up all of our issues as being about. Security. Why do you freak out over whether or not that guy is into you? Because you're not totally secure in your value. His lack of interest makes you feel insecure in your beauty or your body or your likability or lovability. Why does one negative Instagram comment ruin your night and have you obsessing for hours over your reply? You get defensive because you're not totally secure in who you are. You're insecure because you are new and trying so hard and running so fast and know you're making mistakes but just can't possibly be perfect all of the time. And we all struggle with insecurity at some time, hopefully, because we keep challenging ourselves and putting ourselves out there, doing scary things. You can't be totally confident that you can lose the weight, learn French, love that haircut, get pregnant. But I'm coming to believe that security means I'll be okay even if, a phrase I talked about in even in episode one, even if I don't lose the weight, am horrible at French, wear a lot of hats until my bangs grow out, or can't carry a biological baby. And this security isn't easy. 
Imagine training for a decade for the Olympics and having a horrible performance. You don't just brush that off and say it didn't matter. Imagine being Mitt Romney or Hillary Clinton the morning after they lost the presidential election. You aren't really secure in what your next move is, what the next four years of your life look like all of a sudden when your plan gets ripped away. I read a book recently on dealing with grief. The the woman, the author, found out that her husband of 20 years had an affair right after their youngest child had left the house, and she's found herself totally alone. To put myself in her shoes is terrifying. And to be honest, I struggled with the book because I thought, I honestly don't know if I would be totally secure in myself, my faith, my life if that happened. And yet I know I would be closer or will be closer when I'm her age because I'm more secure to start because of the work I've done over the last few years. So let's start smaller. How did I become more secure in my body, way more confident in my body at the exact same weight? One way, knowledge. I discovered and taught myself principles as a stylist that made me more empowered, the same lessons I teach my students and readers today. Another way, experience. I spent so many hours with women in their closets, sitting with their tears, that I started to realize at any age or size or social status, we all had the same stories. And realizing how they all saw themselves more harshly than I did as a non-biased stranger made me realize I was seeing my own body more harshly too. And work. I started to pay more attention to my skin, a source of insecurity for me for years. I'll do an episode on this, but I gave attention to an area of my life that was making me unhappy, and it got better. How did I become more secure in my business? Am I able to roll my eyes at a weird Instagram comment instead of letting it consume my night? Number one, time. I mean, what brand new first-time parent isn't terrified, doesn't watch their baby to make sure they're still breathing. The slightest thing and you get rattled. It's the same thing being an entrepreneur. I got more confident in my abilities over time. And proof. I know I have thousands of students who've been blessed by my courses. So when a stranger goes on a rant over the intention of a class they haven't even taken, whatever. As the cool kids would say, I have receipts. <laughs> I know the value of my work. So one over-caffeinated stranger doesn't get in my head. How did I become more secure in myself that I'm a good friend, that I'm liked and likable and loved? I mean, I'm still working on it, but rewiring. I stopped letting myself spiral when a friend didn't text back or texted a short response. I started catching the crazy negative thoughts and flat out proclaim a positive story over it. All those ways, knowledge, experience, work, time, proof, rewiring, they're all the same. You just start. You just start exploring. You just try. And it takes time. And since, to be honest, a lot of us are quite insecure about a lot of things, that can seem pretty daunting. But I want to encourage you to take some time soon to sit down and journal with this prompt. What am I most insecure about? And then ask why. And again, why? And going deeper, why? You keep asking why. 
No, don't brainstorm everything you're insecure about because we could go crazy. Like, I'm insecure that my bottom teeth aren't totally straight. But honestly, that's not what's causing ish in my life, right? I think, I think most of us know the number one thing that we're insecure about that's affecting our life the most. And it's not your teeth unless your teeth really are the reason you're not going on dates or making presentations at work or doing video for your business. Maybe your most pain point insecurity is where you're at in your career or that you can't control your emotions or your weight. What is it you are the most defensive about? What are you depressed about most often? What makes you a downer to be around as a friend? If you were incredibly secure in this area, you would feel so light and bright and joyful and proud. And then ask yourself why multiple times to get down to the deeper root of why this really matters. Because it has a lot of implications. It affects a lot of areas of your life. Why? Because it has me pull away from guys I date or it's drifted me apart from my wife. Why? Because it's not really about my weight. It's that I don't believe in myself, which is also why I haven't started a business. Why? I'm afraid to admit I'm so critical because I don't know how to change. It's why you have mom guilt or are fighting with your husband or think your boss doesn't or people don't like you. And then we game plan. What are you going to do about it? Not overnight, not all this month, but over the next year or few years. I'd say it took me three years to heal my anxiety. And I'm not perfect, but it was a massive shift. And it took three years. If you want an example, download the checklist for this episode at hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. That's my name, hillaryrushford.com slash pod as in podcast, VIP as in you. You can see a laundry list of all sorts of things that I did, tried, explored to heal my anxiety. I shared that in last week's episode. And use that as inspiration to create a similar list for yourself. And then just start somewhere. Pick a thing to start trying. Let's say it's losing weight. Here's an additional list of all the things I can remember that I've done to feel better in my body since that time I shared in episode one when I was worried I was going to be fired from a show over my weight. So you'll find this checklist in the download too, but I'll just read it really quickly here. Cutting calories or points or portion control, getting a vegetable steamer, making one meal swap like a shake for breakfast, switching from Dunkin' Donuts to the deli, aka processed versus having a freshly made breakfast breakfast sandwich on my way to the subway, making lunch my healthy veggie heavy meal, finding healthier snack options, ordering takeout instead of lean cuisine once it was pointed out to me that the latter is more processed, since I don't cook, then later paying someone to cook for me instead of ordering takeout when it was pointed out for me that takeout food also isn't the best for you, having a workout buddy for a season when a friend and I went to the same gym, having a different workout buddy for a season when I'd meet a friend who was committed to yoga, hiring a personal trainer for two months to ensure I'd show up at the gym, learning to drink my lattes with half a sugar and then no sugar, cutting out gluten and dairy for a month to see how I'd feel, sticking with it 80% once I realized gluten and dairy gave me horrible gas, 
visiting a functional medicine or holistic health doctor, swapping wine for sparkling water with gin or tequila, once said functional medicine doctor, pointed out that wine is basically just sugar in a glass, Uh, getting my full blood work done, taking supplements for better energy when the blood tests showed deficiencies, drinking more water. I'm sure there's so many things I'm not thinking of here as this has been a decade-long journey from losing 20 pounds to actually just making my body not just thin but healthier, and I'm still really continuing to work on that. We're all insecure. Um, i Heck, felt insecure this morning walking around my new podcast space looking for breakfast because I hate that moment when the guy behind the counter has to wait for you to decide what you want because I'm a really slow decider at things like that. And then I feel like I'm being watched. So I'd rather be able to look at the menu outside before I go in or online. But I couldn't do that for this place. (laughs) So I think that we are all insecure in small ways, but we all have that one main insecurity that's the ceiling in our life today. It's the ish we most want to change. We're just afraid we can't. Friend, you can, and it is so worth it. The lie and the terrifying fear that I couldn't change is one of the greatest lies of my life. Stop denying this area. Stop just owning it as a defense mechanism. Declare you are ready to change. You are tired of being insecure. And then just start somewhere. See the download at hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. You have two laundry lists there, healing anxiety and losing weight to inspire you. Plus, I've made you a print off worksheet to fill in to keep track over the next year. You can stick it in your fridge. You can tuck it in your notebook to start keeping a record of everything that you do do. Because it may not feel like you're changing quickly enough. It never does. But that book you read, the podcast episode you listen to on that topic, the small shift you make, they're all steps. And the little milestones as you react a little better than you did last time or aren't feeling as tired mid-afternoon, those should be noted and celebrated. I remember so much more of my anxiety story because I shared it so often. I celebrated the wins, and that's how I remember so clearly the difference, the stages, and am even more aware of how much better my life is as I've become more secure in who I am. And I know there'll be a next change for me to work on, and I'm even more secure I'll be able to do it. Speaking of security, I'll be sharing five specific ways I'm feeling more secure these days in being able to do more in a day while wanting to cry and drink less come evening. So I will see you the next You're Welcome Wednesday with that topic and more in episode four. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is having someone cook for us. I briefly mentioned it in this episode, so I want to explain because I know it sounds kind of bougie, but here's the thing. As you well know, I don't know how to cook. And there's so many things that would bring me more joy or make me more money or save me more money than cooking or learning how to cook. So I hire a mom from our church who loves it to deliver us food once a week. My husband isn't resentful. He's not doing it. uh, Or rather that he's the only one doing it. We're eating healthier. We have a more relaxed time together when we get home at night. 
I eat lunch more often at work instead of putting it off because I'd have to pause to order or go get it, meaning that I work better because I'm actually eating. Uh, So the pros so outweigh the cost, which is the same price as if we had kids and hired a babysitter for a few hours a week. But find your thing. What would make your life so much easier? You loathe it, but other people love it. Can you swap for it? You do laundry for your friend and she walks your dog in the winter because you kind of secretly love laundry but would have totally kicked the dog out once you moved to the snow if your kids weren't so in love with it. You're spent at night, so your husband does the bedtime routine and you're better at morning, so you do the wake-up one. You have more control over your life than you think. So get creative, darling. Now go download today's worksheet to track your next year of growth at hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. That's hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. Till next Wednesday. <laughs>